In Turkey and Syria, families still missing loved ones after devastating earthquakes last month are still hoping for closure. You see that there is voids. And we hoped in the beginning that they will be like in between the voids. But after all this time, it's not possible. It's too late. It's, uh, it's too late. And for the first time in 40 years, an incumbent mayor in Chicago loses re-election. Plus, drug maker Eli Lilly is slashing the price of insulin by 70%. It's Wednesday, March 1st. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that moved the world today. In Chicago, the race for mayor is headed to a runoff after Lori Lightfoot became the first incumbent mayor in 40 years to lose a bid for re-election in the city. Reporter Ben Kessling spoke with voters about Lightfoot's term. She had faced an uphill battle throughout her entire term as a Chicago mayor through fights with unions, issues with how the pandemic was handled. The biggest factor, it seems, talking to voters was crime and the perception of crime. So across the country, crime has been a major issue in municipalities and cities and how to deal with policing, how to deal with petty and major crimes. And in Chicago, there was, especially during the pandemic, a lot of issues with carjacking, a lot of issues with petty crime and shoplifting that ran the gamut. And voters, for the most part, thought that Ms. Lightfoot did not deal effectively with that problem. Lightfoot, a former federal prosecutor, was the first black woman and the first openly gay person to lead Chicago and had won all 50 of the city's wards four years ago. Former public schools chief Paul Vallis and Cook County board member Brandon Johnson now head to a runoff election next month on April 4th. Eli Lilly says it will cut the list prices for its commonly prescribed insulin products by 70 percent. The pharmaceutical company says that the price cuts will take effect in the fourth quarter for its two biggest insulin products, Humulin and Humalog. The shift in pricing comes after passage of the Inflation Reduction Act last year, which mandated that patients under Medicare should pay no more than $35 a month in copays and out-of-pocket costs for their insulin prescription. The yield on the 10-year Treasury touched 4% today for the first time since November. A Treasury bond's yield closely follows investors' expectations for how the Federal Reserve will set rates through the date when the bond matures. Markets reporter Matt Grossman says lingering inflation and higher interest rates have pushed yields higher over the last 16 months. The 10-year is kind of the... uh barometer for borrowing costs all through the economy. So when that goes up, it becomes more expensive to take out a car loan, to take out a mortgage, becomes more expensive for companies to borrow money, to fund projects, expansions, things like that. And it also tends to be bad news for the stock market because it gives investors an alternative investment that is safer than stocks and, you know, these days perhaps just as appealing. The yield on the 10-year Treasury ultimately rose 0.080 percentage points to 3.994 percent today. A new U.S. intelligence report says the illness known as Havana syndrome was unlikely to have been caused by a foreign adversary or weapon. The report does not pinpoint a cause for a wide range of symptoms reported by hundreds of U.S. government employees, instead attributing them to a combination of factors like pre-existing medical conditions, conventional illnesses, and environmental factors. The first cases began emerging in Havana, Cuba in late 2016, with reported symptoms ranging from fatigue and nausea to memory loss. 
U.S. investigations have come to different conclusions about the causes of Havana syndrome. In 2021, for example, a panel of experts said some incidents were likely caused by directed energy or acoustic devices. And we report exclusively that Chinese banker Fan Bao, who went missing last month, has been detained by Chinese authorities. That's according to people familiar with the matter who say Bao was detained as part of a corruption investigation targeting a former senior executive at China Renaissance Holdings, the investment bank founded by Bao. The Information Office of China's cabinet did not immediately respond to a request for comment and declined to transmit a request for comment to the Communist Party's central corruption watchdog. Coming up, hundreds of thousands of people are still missing following last month's earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. We'll see how family members are coping after the break. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. It's been more than three weeks since massive earthquakes hit Turkey and Syria, and no more survivors are being found under the rubble. But there are still hundreds, if not thousands, of people missing. Our reporter, Daniela Cheslo, was in Turkey, and she met one family striving for closure. I was standing outside a collapsed luxury building in Antakya in southern Turkey when I saw two men wearing helmets and hard hats. I thought they were rescue workers, but it turned out they were brothers who had tried to dig through the rubble themselves to find the family of another brother. One wife and three childs, and we know where they are. Where are they? Yeah, it's, it's level three in, in block A2, under the ground. That's Allah Sana. He's 37. He's standing with his brother Adham. It's their oldest brother, Abdo, whose wife and kids were in the Renaissance apartment complex when it fell on its side in the earthquake. Adham Sana is an architect. He's 34, and he flew in from his home in Germany. He told me he and his brothers went into the elevator shaft of Abdo's building. We opened the elevator door. The thing is, when the earthquake happened, the walls and the floors clapped on each other. But in the same time, you see that there is voids. And we hoped in the beginning that they will be like in between the voids, but... After all this time, it's it's not possible. It's, uh, It's too late. Now they face the same challenge as hundreds of families of victims. Turkey's government has said at least 185,000 buildings with more than half a million homes either collapsed or are so badly damaged they need demolition. There are no public statistics on how many people are missing, but civil rights groups say a year after Turkey's last major earthquake in 1999, at least 300 people had not been found. These latest quakes killed nearly three times as many people, at least 50,000 victims in Turkey and Syria. About 80 people are missing in the Renaissance complex alone. The story of the Sana'a brothers, who are five in total, is a Syrian family shaped by tragedy. They were scattered around the world by the civil war that started in 2011. 
the eldest went to Turkey. Allah went to Saudi Arabia. We are everywhere, really. And now USA, Germany. Where's the brother in the U.S.? I yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in Washington, D.C., yes. A set of twins split between the U.S. and Germany, and the youngest went to Germany, too. The earthquake reunited them. I met Akram, who flew in from Arlington, Virginia, to help search for his brother Abdo's family. Hey, Daniela, how are you? Good morning. Oh, my God, you look oh, just like your brother. <laughs> <laughs> We're identical twins, so... Wow. <laughs> Akram led me to an apartment overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, where his brother is staying now. Abdo is in shock with his family missing. He said he and his wife, Zena moved to Turkey in 2017, carrying their two oldest kids, Nader and Jana, on their backs. Their youngest, Omar, was born last year. Abdo said moving to the Renaissance residence complex in 2019 with its pool and gym felt like progress. And I chose the residence because I felt it's a safe space for my family, for my kids. Abdo was in Syria on business when the earthquakes hit. He called Zena and got no answer. He rushed back over the border. His parents had lost their home, too. The brothers came in to help, but Abdo was bereft. Zena was always so scared that, why are you going inside Syria again? Like, it's not safe, please stay here, don't go in Syria. She was worried that he's going to die in, the, in Syria. As we spoke, Akram watched the clock. My brothers, they just called me that now they are digging very close to uh, the site where the apartment is. Um, they just pulled out two bodies of the neighbors upstairs. So we think that we are very close. But then he wrote me later, there was no update. Days passed. The brothers created a round-the-clock watch to try to find the family. The youngest, 28-year-old Mohanad, had flown in from Germany. He said he bonded with the kids when he quarantined with them in Turkey during COVID. He sent me this voice note from the site where he had taken the night shift following the work of recovery crews. So I used to be the teacher and the favorite uncle, probably. I miss them a lot, actually. And I came here to find their bodies. But as days turned into weeks and crews cleared rubble, the Sanas had to end their search. In fact, many international search and rescue workers said they left Turkey after the government's disaster management agency began using heavy machinery less than a week after the first two quakes. My colleague Sunay Rasmussen followed up with that agency called Afad and didn't get a response. I met up with Akram in D.C. a few days ago. He said that, like many families of victims, Abdo and the parents of his wife, Zena have given DNA samples to try to get a match in case of unidentified remains. But they didn't have much hope. Akram said the family held funeral ceremonies in Turkey and in Syria for Zena and the kids. They had no bodies to bury. He said maybe it was better. Their last memory of the people they loved was when they were alive. For The Wall Street Journal, I'm Daniela Cheslow. That's what's news for this Wednesday afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow morning. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal.